When God's people pay more attention to people in the world who are not following God, sometimes they can forget God is in control. Hi, I'm Femi Osibin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. Thank you for tuning in to today's sermon, Forgot About God, taken from Nahum 1, 1 through 8. In this sermon, we will look at a prophecy given to Nahum about Nineveh and its destruction. At times, it can appear the enemies of God are in control, but this oracle testifies to God's ultimate power and is a reminder that God is with his people even when it doesn't appear to be so. Hopefully, this sermon will touch you when you feel overwhelmed by the world to remind you God is for his people and will enact vengeance on his enemies in due time. Sometimes as we journey through this life, situations happen that cause us to forget about the God who is controlling our lives, who has called us from this world into his eternal salvation. I think that's what happened to the children of Israel as we consider the book of Nahum and just put them in their historical context. They had saw the Israelites fall because of sin. The Syrians had came and had taken them into exile. And all the world around them had been conquered by this godless people who boast before God's people and say that your God is not God. And what you need to do is to get with my program and do what I say. We find ourselves in the same context in this life. People will tell you that you need to bow down to the forces of career, to the forces of money, to the forces of. All of these other societal factors that will cause you to not live up to the standard that God has set before you. And it makes it kind of easy to forget who God is and what he chose you and his son for. You see, it had been a while since the children of Israel had heard the voice of God. But when they did hear him, he came to them in the cloud of darkness and thunder and fire on Mount Sinai and he himself spoke these words to them found in Exodus chapter 20 saying I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery you shall have no other gods before me you shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath you shall not bow down to them or serve them for I the Lord your God am a jealous God visiting the iniquities of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You see, sometimes when you're surrounded by those who hate God, it will cause you to not express your love as deeply as God would like. It would also cause you to forget The promise that we have in God to keep us, to protect us from those who would do us harm. Because they have no fear of God. They're boastful. They exhibit a lot of pride. They're arrogant. 
and they're haughty in their ways of destruction. And even though they can't see their end, it's coming. And they just push steadily towards it, not considering God or those who would follow him. So it causes God's people sometimes to quiver up with fear, sometimes to follow in their ways. And dare I say, when we follow in their ways, we follow in the same paths of destruction that they are going to receive. But if we hold fast to what God has called us to, we know that God loves us and that the unjust that we're experiencing will be rectified, will be turned around. Because we see these same people who had forgot what God called them from and were now facing these Ninevites, these Assyrians at their doorstep, they get an oracle from God. And this is what God tells Nahum to tell them. The Lord is a jealous and avenging God The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger and great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in the whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Bashan and Carmel wither. The bloom of Lebanon withers. The mountains quake before him. The hills melt. The earth heaves before him, and the world and all who dwell in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire and the rocks are broken into pieces by him. The Lord is God, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him, but with an overflowing flood, he will make a complete end of the adversaries and will pursue his enemies into darkness. You see, that is the justice of God, that he's not going to allow his people to suffer without some recompense for the situations that they had to endure. But when you're enduring that, it's hard to see God acting because the arrogance, the, the, the pride of those who are not following God, sometimes drowns out God's voice. You think of prophets who had to hold fast to faith. One specifically, Elisha. Mount Carmel is referenced in this. And if we can recall what happened at Mount Carmel, Elisha calls together the priests of Baal, all those Zidonian prophets, and says, let's See whose God is God, and he calls them to a challenge on the mountain. And with 400 of their priests, they beseech their God, who is not a God. They cut themselves, they cry out all day, and he doesn't answer. And Elisha takes an altar, fills enough water over it in a drought to where that altar is drowned. And then he prays to God, and God answers him and consumes the sacrifice with fire from heaven. And he shows himself to be God. But Elisha was under so much pressure from Jezebel that he himself even fled to the mountain of God 
to confront God to get reassured. And he says, God, I alone am left to follow you. And sometimes we feel like that. I alone am left to follow you. And God says, no, you're not. Even though you do not know who it is that followed me, I have kept some who are faithful. And this remnant that I have kept, they are still going to demonstrate the faith that you are demonstrating. So we must not never forget that when we feel alone, we're not alone. And even if the whole world is pressuring us to go against what God wants, God will enact righteous judgment on his enemies and the adversaries of his people. The same Jezebel that was pressuring Elisha, she is later consumed by dogs. She is killed in the same field that she had her man's killed in and took in just because she felt she had power. And we're reminded of this same passage that Nahum says that the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. And so it should encourage us to be faithful and steadfast no matter what we experience because we know that we're outnumbered in this world. And we know that if we allow just the, the whisperings, the yellings, the, the, the inclinations of <laughs> faithless people to invade our thoughts, that would cause us not to follow God. That would cause us to go after the ways of the world and to live less than the calling to which God has called us to, putting us in the wrath of God. But we must remember why, why God selected us. And we have to remember that mountaintop experience that the children of Israel had. I chose you out of this world to be a beacon of light to the rest of this world. So that no matter what is going on, I can show the world through faithful people that I still am in control. That no matter what is going on in this life, that I will keep my people. And the promises that I extend to them are so good that they extend past this life. But there's a flip side to that. And that flip side a lot of people don't want to talk about because they really don't know God. And so what they say is that God is a loving God and that being a loving God, he extends his mercy to everybody indiscriminately. There's no standard. And so when we die, we'll all go to heaven just because we live this life, which is not the case. And so it's important to put, put right up there with God's grace and mercy and calling God's condemnation, God's wrath, and God's righteous anger so that we find ourselves on the right side of a relationship with God. Because it's easy not to live up to our calling. It's easy to succumb to the pressures of the world. That's why we must understand who God is, what he has given told his people and a relationship he's calling us to. God's not calling us to live a life free of harm, avoidance of all danger. He's calling us into a relationship with him so that when we face that harm, 
when we experience that danger, that we don't experience it without him. Because it can get very real. And we're living in a difficult time right now to where a lot of people question what's going to happen tomorrow. Is this economy going to be okay? Is this nation going to still be one? Will this world stand? And we can't even see past tomorrow. But God does. And in a difficult time in Nahum's life, difficult time for the nation, God tells them, I'm going to exact vengeance on those who are against me, but I'm going to keep those whom have set their heart to follow me. Today, the message is simple. We looked at the book of Nahum, and all I really want to encourage us to do is to remember both sides of God, his love, his grace, his mercy for those who put him first in their lives, who remember the same promise that he gave on Mount Carmel. I'm a loving God. I show grace and mercy to all of those who follow me. But I have stipulations. While also balancing the fact that God is a vengeful God who will enact his condemnation on those who oppose him, who will not allow his people to unduly be suffer injustice without those who enact that injustice to go free. We see the Assyrians are the ones who God utilized to enact his wrath upon the world. We looked at it, but if you want to reference it, you could go back to Isaiah chapter 10. God said, I called you so that you could enact my justice, my wrath on all of these faithless nations. But you were full of pride. You were full of arrogance and you went too far and I'm going to do something to you. And that further explains that. And we must remember that. Because while God specifically was talking to Assyria in this context, the message is still prevalent in ours. That if we are not found on the right side of righteousness, we are going to incur God's wrath. And at times that could be easier than we think. Because we succumb to the ways of the world. We allow the world to supply the answers to what God has already told us the truth for. Because we want to fit in. Because we don't want to stand out. Because we do not want to suffer for being a Christian. Because why should we? If God is showing us grace and God's showing us mercy, we should have an easy life, right? Such is not the case. Sometimes we have to face our fears in faith. And we have to take a stand for God, even if we're just standing with God. And we find ourselves feeling like Elisha. I have done all of this for you, God. And yet I'm the only one that I know that's doing right. The world is out to get me. And I'm ready to give up. But we know, even when we get there, God has not given up on us. 
Because when he's ready to take us, he'll take us. And he keeps a long record of those who have misused and abused his people. So we can be okay with the fact that if I don't see the punishment enacted, it will still happen. But that's not where our hearts should be. But we should know that if we suffer, God will hold those who cause us to suffer accountable. So we can have faith to do what God wants us to do without worrying about keeping score. Just living in faith. Because when you consider when Nahum wrote, it's 150 years after the prophet of Jonah. And Jonah preached in Israel. And Israel was taken over by the same Nineveh that Jonah came and preached and they (coughs) repented to an extent and God offered them some grace. You see, it was 40 days that Jonah expected Nineveh to be overthrown, but it was 150 years that it happened then. See, Jonah wanted to see it. A lot of times we want to see those whom we deem as our enemies, as those whom we deem as against God. We want to see them suffer because we don't think that it's fair that they get to live this life free of any pain if they've caused us pain allowed to have all of the riches of this world when we don't get to experience it too and we're faithful to God. You see, with the wrong understanding, we start thinking we should have something that the world has. Not knowing that God is taking all of that away and giving us salvation, which is what the world will not receive which is the greater gift for our faith, for our willing to endure in hardships no matter how they look if we hold tight to God. Nahum reminds us that those who try to get over on God and God's people don't. That those who live a life righteously in the sight of God ultimately are taken care of. And that we don't have to keep track of keeping record of those who have wronged us and who we have done right by because God has already kept it. It gives us the faith to be the people who God wants us to be. It gives us the encouragement of salvation no matter what it looks like in this world. And it makes our relationship with God that much stronger because we know that even if we can't see our way out, He has already made it so. In the days of Isaiah, he makes a prophecy to Jesus. Nahum recounts that prophecy. I don't think neither one of the prophets understood fully what they were saying. But God knew. And what God did in his son Jesus Christ was offer salvation to all men. And we recall that invitation that we received, that we answered, that said, if I repent and I submit my wills to God, that when I go down into this watery grave of baptism, I'll be risen up a new creature in Christ, given the Holy Spirit, empowered to walk and live the life that God wants me to live. 
And that what compels us to be the people that God wants us to be no matter where we find ourselves. Because at times we're going to find ourselves the only Christians. At times we're going to find ourselves maybe not the only Christians, but one of the few Christians who's willing to do what God actually commands. And at times we might face persecution, ridicule. We might even have doubt that God is with us. But we should never allow those persecutions, ridicules, doubts to cause us not to exhibit faith no matter where we find ourselves. Because in that baptism, that Holy Spirit that we received was a down payment of an eternal promise that we will fully get when Jesus comes to judge. And when we receive our reward, those who have put hurdles in our way, those who have tried to hinder us from being who God called us to be, they're going to have to answer to God for it. We don't want to have to answer to God for anything that we have done against his will. So let's be mindful, not only of the promise, but of God's wrath on those who would willingly go against his word because we're kept and we'll be okay. Even if the world is against us, God is for us. And let's remember that. That should make us draw near and closer to God because it's in those dark times that we realize that he's our only hope. And he won't leave us. He won't forsake us. No matter what it looks like, God's there for us. Why? Because he loves us. And that's all we have to go on, faith, until we're called home. So let's continue holding on to that faith. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.